Father, I thank you, God, for your spirit and for you for your grace, God. I thank you for your mercy and your justice, Lord. God, I ask, Lord, that I will decrease so that you can increase. God, I ask, Father, that anything you're not wanting me to say would that I forget, Lord, that, Father, that I remember the things that you're wanting me to say. God, would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Amen. Good morning. <laughs> so we, uh, my name is John Clark. I'm the executive pastor here at CFCF. We are in week three out of six weeks for Jeff's sabbatical. He's actually going to be gone for a total of, I think it's five Sundays, so he'll be back June 9th. Um, last week we heard from Seth. Seth is our college and worship pastor, and Seth talked about um, adoption and what it means to be adopted into the family of God. Um, one of the things that really struck me about that was, was how he talked about that when God adopts you into his family, he becomes your father, and you get all the rights and privileges um, of a son or daughter of God. Um, and you know, so, and today I'm going to talk about the Father Heart of God, and I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I actually had different ideas to talk about. Leah, Leah thought it might be a good idea to kind of take you into my head. So I had, I had a few different things that I thought I was going to talk about. I actually ran one of them by Seth, and he was like, uh-uh. <laughs> 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 um, but, and so I was, I was praying about it, and I, I actually felt like the Lord said to, to um, talk about how much he loves us, to talk about his father heart. And, um, you know, I know that statistically speaking, there are probably more than a few of you out there who, who did not grow up with the privilege of having a, a good dad. And, um, you know, a father, I, I, I'm looking at Ron, I'm so sorry, like Ron, who just loves his kids well, and, and when his kid, when he sees his kids, there's just this huge smile on his face, he wants to be, and, and I'm looking at, like, I'm looking at Mike, and I'm looking at Scott up there, just, just I know that a lot of you did not grow up with dads like that. So, so I think that what happens is that um, we get this skewed version of God, right? Because to think of a father, we get this version of what our dad was, what was like. And, and we tend to skew our version of what God our father looks like. And so, um, for example, uh, I know some people who their dads, one of the things we're going to talk about is that God is slow to anger. Their dads may have been quick to anger, and so obviously if you had a dad who was quick to anger, that's, that's kind of how you view God. And so, you know, if, if I sin and I, and I had a dad who's quick to anger, I think that immediately he's going to snap and he's going to yell at me and he's going to rebuke me and maybe even he wants to hit me or whatever it is. Um, but that's, that's not what he's like. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that today. Um, and, and actually, one of the... So I'm going to give a plug for CFTS. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite teachings in CFTS, I think it's, is it the first one still? It's, pre- it's pretty close to the first, is Father Heart of God by John Dawson. That, that teaching, it's like, what, 40 years old or something crazy? Um, but it's, it's awesome. It's just, it wrecked me because he kind of goes through like, this is God's heart for you, and, and he, he kind of goes through all these scriptures, and, and he just really lets you know that, you know, God, 
again, if you didn't have a if you didn't have a good dad, that's not what God is like. He's like this, and he kind of helps to set your thinking straight. So there there are lots of good teachings like that in CFTS. That just happens to be my favorite. Um, and and so we're just gonna we're gonna sorry I'm gonna get my water. We're gonna scratch the surface here as because I th- obviously as you look through the as you read the Bible and you um, you kind of you you can kind of get a hint for how God feels for you as his son or daughter. So we're going to look specifically at the story in Luke 15, 11 to 32. It's, it's the heading uh, says prodigal son. It's, it's about so much more than that. We're going to see um, how that story illustrates God as father as he describes himself in Exodus 34, verse 6. Um, so I want to say something here. The Israelites... Didn't, didn't necessarily look at God as their father. So in the Old Testament, God wasn't necessarily referred to as God, God, as father. But we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he doesn't change. Jesus came, and he revealed how God really is. So he opened our eyes to see how God really is. And so I believe as we look at this story, we're going to see God as a father for us. We're going to see his heart for us. Um, so let's jump right in. Exodus 33:18 is where we're going to start. Um, a little bit of background here is just that Moses just had a conversation with God saying that he didn't um, feel equipped to lead these people that God was asking him to equip. And so um, he basically says to God, you know me by name, but I don't know you. Show me your glory. And God, sa- God says to him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do for you all that you've asked. Verse 18 says, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my, my name, the Lord, in your presence. And then, kind of we're going to fast forward a little bit, but in the meantime there, the Lord shows Moses a place where he can stand while his glory passes in front of Moses, and he has um, Moses chisel two new stone tablets out, because uh, if, if you remember, Moses kind of went down the hill and they were celebrating over this um, golden calf and he threw the, he threw the tablets and they all broke. Um, that kind of doesn't matter for this. I don't know why I went into that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so then we go to verse 5 of chapter 34 and it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and he stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So we see that God sums up his own glory um, and these characteristics, and we're going to focus on the first part where it says the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. The Life Application Study Bible says, Moses had asked to see God's glorious presence, and this was God's response. What is God's glory? It's his character, his nature, his way of relating to his creatures. Notice that God did not give Moses a vision of his power and majesty, but rather of his love. God's glory is revealed in his mercy, grace, compassion, faithfulness, forgiveness, and justice. So instead of doing some, um, you know, some powerful thing that, that only God could have done, instead he, he, he reveals himself this way as a loving and compassionate God. Verse 5 says that the Lord proclaimed his name, the Lord. 
So, and then as he proclaims his name, he, re, he, he with it reveals his character. Again, what we're going to focus on here is that he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. We're going to see all of these things in the parable that Jesus told. Um, the father here, obviously, I said, represents God as father. So I want to keep that in mind as we read through uh, Luke 15, 11 to 32, paying particular attention to how the father responds to each of the sons. So this is, this is long. It's going to be up here. So let, let's, let's read it all together. Jesus continued, oh, so going into this, this is the third of three parables right here that Jesus tells. The first two um, were basically about someone finding something that was lost, and obviously that, that's, that's representative of God, um, how God celebrates over a lost person coming to him. Then it says in verse 11, Jesus continued, There is a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And then we have the father's response for the the first time. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his sons, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's back safe and sound. The older, father, the older brother rather, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes in, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So I want to frame the Exodus 34 um, uh, picture of God's heart in light of this story um, where we see that, again, God declared himself as compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Um, because I believe that this this story is about God's father heart toward us. And it's not just about the younger son, as the the, the um, heading in your Bible implies by calling it the prodigal son. It's about both children and about the father. So both, each child represents a different way to be alienated from God. And the father, obviously, as I said, rep- represents uh, God's um, God as father. 
So throughout the story, we're, we're going to look at it kind of in detail, and throughout the story, we're going to see the characteristics of God mentioned in that Exodus passage. So again, can you guys say it with me yet? So let's remember, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. All right, so let's start with the first son, asking for his share of the inheritance. It says he divided the property between them. That alone shows so much of this father's heart. So in that culture, it was, um, it was disrespectful and it was grounds for banishment if you came to your father and asked for your inheritance like that. Because um, also, you, you, in that culture, you talk to your dad with the utmost respect. So it was like father and you know, all, these, all these terms of respect that you were expected to talk to your dad. And he just comes and he's like, dad, give me my inheritance. Um, so... Um, asking for your inheritance was basically the same as saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Um, John, oh, sorry, not John, Tim Keller in Prodigal God says, a traditional Middle Eastern father would be expected to respond to such a request by driving the son out of the family with nothing except physical blows. The father doesn't do anything like that. So basically in that culture, the father would have been, would have been expected to respond to the son by beating him up. That's what, that's what physical blows means. Um, I mean, just to pull a Jeff here. <laughs> um, but, but this father was compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. He loved his son enough to let him choose. And isn't that what God does with us? He loves us enough to give us free will to allow us the opportunity to choose if we're going to return his love or not. Um, Tim Keller goes on and he says, To lose part of your land was to lose part of yourself and a major share of your standing in the community. community. Um, the, the, another thing here is, how do you normally respond when your love is rejected? I know that I can tend to get angry or I can tend to diminish it. Well, I didn't really care about that person anyway. Um, um, d- you know, diminish the hurt kind of thing. But the father here, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He gives his son what he asks for, and he bears the grief of the loss of uh, standing in the community, but more importantly, of the loss of his son. Um, and, and, and God does the same thing with us. Again, he lets us choose whether or not we're going to return the love that he has for us. So again, the father's wealth would have been tied up in his property. So that means that... So this was the younger son. There was an older son. Older son's got a double portion. So, the, so if there are two kids, the older son would have gotten two-thirds. The younger son would have gotten a third. So that means that a wealthy landowner would have needed to sell one-third of his property in order to give this kid his inheritance. Um, and, and, and I think that also, I'm going to say good dads know, know their kids. And I think that as we read through this story, we're going to see that this, this is a good dad. Um, that Jesus is telling a story about. And so I believe that this father, um, as he was, you know, selling off his property so that he could give the son his inheritance, he probably knew what the son was going to do with it. Um, but, but we see here the, the first instance of grace costing something. So the father's grace and compassion cost him something, but it was free to the son. So it, it cost the dad a third of his property, it cost him some standing in the community, and it was free to the son. Um, God's grace for us cost him something, obviously. It cost, G, it cost Jesus his, the death on, his death on a cross. Um, so we see here that 
that this is an illustration of the fact that grace doesn't doesn't cost the the receiver anything. So I, for free, I mean, we don't have time to get into really, you know, the counting the costs and all that, but uh, essentially Jesus died for me, for all my sins. He took all of my sins, right? And I get to be with him. I get to have a relationship with him forever. It, everything was on him. Nothing was on me. It was the same thing in this. In this, The grace cost the dad everything. It cost the son nothing. He got what he asked for. Then in verses 13 to 20, we see that the son took his inheritance and he wasted it. Um, it says that he, he winds up longing to eat pig food, which we can, we can see from the story that eating something that pigs eat would have been... We're not talking about eating pigs, so all the guys out there, he wasn't longing to eat bacon. He was longing to actually eat physically what the pigs were eating. Um, and he, he was considering that like, Oh, if I could only eat that, then that would be good. Um, but so he, he kind of realizes where he is, and he finally decides, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to ask my dad for forgiveness and offer him to work as a hired man on his property. So in, ver- in verse 13, it says he squandered his wealth on wild living. The definition of squander is to waste in a reckless and foolish manner. And, and wild living, the older son gives us a hint, or tell, tells us rather what that is, Later, then the old son says he wasted his money on prostitutes. So basically, this kid took a third of his dad's uh, money. He took his inheritance, and then he went and he wasted on all of these sinful desires. And again, I think that the dad probably knew that this was going to happen, but the dad loved him enough to let him, to let him uh, exercise his free will. Um, so, so, and oh, and then he wanted to eat what the pigs ate. In Leviticus, it says that pigs were unclean for Israelites. So this is how badly that this kid wasted his money. He, he actually desired to eat what pigs ate, ate, considering this a step up from where he was at that point. Um, but he comes up with a plan uh, in that culture. He so disgraced his father that he could, have, he could not have been welcomed back into the, into the family. That's how badly he disgraced his dad, and that's kind of how that culture worked. Um, so his plan was to live as a hired man for his dad, which basically meant he was going to go on and off the property and not be family anymore because he's, he's at this point he knows I'm disowned, or that's what he thinks. Um, and this, this is kind of the same as what I keep thinking of when I think of this is, so Leah and I have been doing work on our house, and there are co- the contractors, the plumber, for example, he comes on and off our property when he decides to. Um, to, do, <laughs> to, to do work, but he's not part of our family. So he's, 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 he's kind of, this is what the son is offering. I'm going to come on and off the property, and I'll do work for you, but I don't actually belong to your family anymore. Um, and, and so there among the pigs, he decides that he's going to go home and repent, and he still has no idea, he still does not understand how much his dad loves him, because he doesn't, re, he doesn't, we can see he doesn't know how his dad's going to respond. He thinks... He, he's hoping his dad will say, sure, I'll hire you as one of these hired men. But remember, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. So, so then we see the dad's response. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. In that culture, it was unheard of for a distinguished Middle Eastern man 
um, to a, a Middle Eastern patriarch to run. Um, but it says that this father saw his son coming and he ran after him. The, the you know, I, I, it doesn't say this in the Bible, obviously, but the picture that I get is just, you know, this, this dad who's kind of standing in the front yard or standing in the front fields, um, <laughs> whatever it is, but he's, he's, he's longing and he's hoping that his son is going to come back. And then he sees this figure in the distance and he knows his kid and immediately he runs out after him and he puts his arms around him and he's so excited that he hugs and kisses his son. Um, Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. He was filled with compassion and he longed to be gracious to his son. Um, that's God's heart for us. He's filled with compassion. He longs to be gracious to us. Um, the, again, the Life Application Study Bible uh, puts it this way. In this story, the father watched and waited. He was dealing with a human being with a will of his own, but he was ready to greet his son if he returned. In the same way, God's love is constant and patient and welcoming. He will search for us and give us opportunities to respond, but he will not force us to come to him. Like the father in this story, God waits patiently for us to come to our senses. And then he, he, he runs out after him and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. I hug and kiss my kids because I love them. And, and, and hug, hugs and kisses really only can communicate that you're loved and that you're accepted. I actually asked my four-year-old, <laughs> I said, Asher, how do you know that daddy loves you? And he's, he, he, had a, he like got a huge smile, and he goes, because you hug and you kiss me. So I felt like that kind of backs up what I'm saying here. <laughs> At least for my kids. <laughs> um, um, so again, this is what God sees with us. He sees our heart, and he runs out after us. Um, it, and, and I think it makes the act of repentance that much easier when you understand that your father really does love you and want you to come back to him. Sorry, I have a lot of notes. Um, so again, the father's the father's heart here illustrates God's heart for us. Let's say it. He is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. So then the son starts his rehearsed speech, but let's look at the dad's response. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So he starts into this speech, and, it, and it's like the dad doesn't even hear him. Um, the best robe in the house would have been the father's. And, and by saying, go put the, get the best robe and put it on him, it would have been a clear indication that the son was restored and welcomed back into the family. Um, the father didn't wait for his son to be cleaned up. He didn't condemn him. He didn't question his past uh, before he would allow him back in uh, or anything like that. And Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he, speaking of God, removed our transgressions from us. So this father didn't wait for the son to finish his speech. There's nothing that the father, that the son did to earn this. It's, it's, he basically treated this kid as God would have treated him. And he was like, you know what? I don't care about your past. You're back. I want to celebrate the fact that you're back. Um, 
So, so they start a huge feast for, with the fattened calf. Now, the fattened calf would have been reserved for just like the rarest of rare occasions, but that's how the dad viewed his son's return. He was so excited, so overjoyed um, that his son came back that he immediately said, let's kill a fattened calf and let's celebrate. Uh, he threw a party to welcome his son back home. Uh, not only were the father's love and acceptance absolutely free, but they actually cost him something. Again, first part of his property, um, probably part of his standing in the community, and then this fattened calf, and then possibly some more standing in the community for welcoming back this sinner. Because again, this is not how this culture would have responded. So it's possible, obviously I don't know, um, but it's possible that this father would have suffered more standing in the community. So we see um, in this the, 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 a picture of God as our Father. He's, he's compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. Um, and we saw how it plays out with the younger son. Uh, the, I, I wrote the outright rebellious but ultimately repentant one. Um, and at this point, we've gotten to see how, how the father welcomes, welcomes his son back. And you might be connecting with the younger son. Maybe you feel like, you know, I've been lost and that was me when, my, when, I, turned back to God, when I turned to God. Or when I, maybe you were away for, maybe you were walking with God and you walked away and then you came back and he welcomed you back. So maybe you're, start, maybe you're kind of connecting with the, de- with the son. Um, um, you know, and, and hopefully at this point, if, if you had a dad that was not like this, you're starting to see, gosh, if, if, if Jesus is telling this parable and that's how he wants me to think of a father, then, then maybe my father in heaven is not like this picture that I had. Um, so so um, now we're going to look at the older son. The older son is basically... Uh, self-righteous. The, the commentators say that basically the story of the old, the, the part with the older son, uh, Jesus was telling for the Pharisees because they were they were self-righteous. Um, so so let's look at the father's interactions with the older son. In verses uh, twenty-five to twenty-eight, sorry, we get a look at the older son's reactions to what's going on. So he's working on in the fields. And he comes back, and he doesn't know what's going on. So he says to his servant, hey, what's happening there? And the servant says, your younger brother came back, so your dad's throwing a party. And immediately we see that the obedient son had a few of his own issues. Um, So he was actually so angry at his father's lavish love for his brother that he refused to go into uh, into the party. Instead of words of respect and honor, he essentially yells at the father in verse 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. And he goes on. Um, apparently in this culture, a man of this, this father's standing, uh, he would have had every right to also disown this son for this, uh, this disrespect. Um, and most would have on the spot disowned them like, hey, you don't talk to me that way, get out and never see you again. Um, Tim Keller puts it this way. Now it's his turn to disgrace the father. He refuses to go in on what is perhaps the biggest feast and public event his father has ever put on. He remains outside the door, publicly casting a vote of no confidence in his father's actions. And then we learn why the older son is so angry. He's so caught up in his righteousness and performance for the father that it actually made him angry that his father would show this amount of grace, compassion, and love to the older, sorry, to his younger brother in, in his eyes, the sinner. And let's face it, he, he, he was a sinner. I mean, we know what he did, but his dad welcomed him back. Um, 
So this, this son was proud of his obedience, but clearly he wasn't obeying out of love because he says, I was slaving. I've been slaving for you all these years. When, when I think of slaving for someone, I don't necessarily think of doing it out of joy and love, right? Um, so he, and then, um, yeah, so he's basically saying, look, dad, I've never disobeyed you. This kid disobeys you all the time. He goes out and he wastes all your money and you come, he comes back and you welcome him back into the family. What's up with that? What's wrong with you? Um, he wouldn't even claim his father, his brother as his own anymore. He says, this son of yours, he's too proud of his own supposed righteousness, which Isaiah refers to as filthy rags. Um, one commentator noted that instead of being the humble, loving brother who goes out to bring his younger lost brother home, we see that he was self-righteous and just like the younger son also didn't want the father for his love but for his possessions. But as we look at the father's response, let's remember, the father is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. So the dad says, My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So again, we see a son who who shows the father flagrant disrespect. And again, the father could have reacted by disowning him. Uh, But again, the father is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger to the son. He responds with grace and love to this you know, self-righteous son's actions. The father reveals that he's not after the son's actions, but he's after the son's hearts. So he doesn't necessarily care that this kid has been obedient the whole time. He wants, he wants this kid's love. He wants to love this child and for this child to actually choose to love him in return. Um, you know, even, even something that strikes me right now, he says, this brother of yours, so... And kind of reading into that, I think that what's going on there is that the father is saying, you, you see how you think that I'm, you know, kind of overreacting with him, but he's your brother. You're, you guys are, you're both my sons. I love you just as much as he does, this brother of yours. I want you to come back too. Um, the father reveals that he's not, yeah. So he didn't have to explain his actions because everything he had was his anyways. Anyways. Anyway. Um. Sorry, I bothered myself with my grammar. (laughs) He's also showing compassion to the older brother. He's probably also showing compassion. Because at that point, um, he had already given the one-third of the property to the younger son. So literally everything left would have been the the older brother's by right. But it's not the older brother's yet because the dad's not dead, right? Um, So we see that the restoration of the younger son also cost the older son something. And, he, and, and a person with his mindset was probably upset that this was actually going to cost him something, the restoration of this, this sinner. Um, the, the older brother didn't appreciate that the father's grace, compassion, and love was going to cost him part of his inheritance because basically by the dad welcoming the younger son back, he's, saying, he's inviting him to partake in all that the dad has. He's saying, everything I have is once again yours to enjoy. Um, And that's God's father heart for us. It's his business to show us the lavish grace and love, right? It's, it's, it's not my business if, if God wants to show someone who I consider a sinner, some sort of lavish love and grace, that's, that's God. And it's his heart for that person. And he loves me the the same. 
Um, it, it just may look different. Um, and, and our job, we, we should be delighting in this, and we should want to celebrate with that person that God is showing them that grace. Um, so before we, before we kind of close here, wow, I'm taking longer than I thought. Um, there was one, there's one more part of the Exodus passage that I want to quickly address, even though we don't see it in the story of Luke. Um, it's Exodus 34, verse 7. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So we see here that God loves and God is just, right? Jesus is the one that told this story, um, and Jesus is that justice. He, he satisfied the justice of God for us. So, um, so he, he tells this whole story about love and acceptance and compassion and grace and you know, welcoming the one son in and pleading with the other son to come in. Um, and, th- and then he, ha- he leaves off this justice part. Well, who knows if he was even referring to Exodus 34. Uh, <laughs> but um, he himself is the justice that the verse talks about. So um, in, instead of punishing me and my children and their children and their children, uh, Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to take I'm going to take the punishment that was intended for him. And, and Father, you can satisfy your justice for John on me. Um, he took the punishment so we don't have to. Because again, say it with me, our Father is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. So as we close, let's, let's go back to the Luke passage. Um, the father in this story had to invite each of the brothers into the feast that signified his love. He initiated with, every, with both of them just as God initiates with us. So with the younger son, the one who was lost, as soon as the son turned back and the father could see him, he ran out after him and he initiated with him. He welcomed him back into the family and he threw a party that he was actually back. And with the self-righteous one, the one who was so caught up in his performance and thinking that he was so... Um, obedient and doing everything asked of the father, the father goes out and actually pleads with him to change his heart and to see what the father is offering. And, and you know, that's, that's how God is with us. And I think that he's initiating right now with different ones of us. Um, he doesn't, you know, though we wander and we're far apart from him, God invites us to feast on his goodness. That's what his heart is. He personally invites each of us to partake in his goodness, in his mercy, and in his grace, in his abounding love and faithfulness. Uh, When we're far off, he runs after us as soon as we turn toward him, and he doesn't treat us like we should be treated or like culture dictates that we should be treated. So in this culture, again, culture dictated that each of these kids, for different reasons, should have been disowned by their dad. But the dad, with God's father heart, said, no, I'm going to welcome them into my family, and I'm going I'm to welcome the one, and I'm going to plead with the other. I love you, son. I love you. I want you to partake in all that I have. Um, and that's, that, is, that really is what God does with us. He, he instead of um, banishing us, he welcomes us and, and he humbles himself to us, the created. Um, and, and, uh, so, and if you gave your life to Jesus, you get a full pardon for your sins. Just like this, the younger son got a full pardon for his sins. It's like the dad, the dad never questioned him about it. I also think that just like the two sons, we can tend to disrespect God by going our own way, not content to enjoy him separate from his blessings. Um, so, so I was thinking about myself, and I was thinking, how many of my prayers are centered not around just 
celebrating God and who he is and his grace and his love and his mercy and, you know, let's say his heart for others or whatever else, how many of my prayers are, are centered around, um, God, please do this for me. God, I need this to happen. God, change this for me, whatever it is. But um, so, so how many times am I uh, not able to enjoy God separate from how he blesses me? Um, and we also see that in the story, the restoration of the younger brother costs the older brother something. Um, the restoration of you and me to the father costs, costs the father something. It costs it cost the death of his son, Jesus, on a cross. I was thinking about it down here. I mean, I love a lot of you guys. I know a lot of you personally, but I probably wouldn't give my kids up for your life. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to say, you know what? Instead of person X who I love, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to give up Asher's life. And, and I'm, you know, I'm a human being, um, but that's what God did. Instead of, instead of saying, you know what? John deserves to die. He's such a sinner. I, I can't be near him. God gave up his son for me. And then obviously it, it cost both the father and son that his grace. Um, it cost, cost them a temporary break in the perfect union that they had from the beginning of time. Um, and we all, and finally we, or finally I'm getting to finally, the older son didn't appreciate that the father's grace, compassion, and love was going to cost him part of his inheritance. So how many of us calculate things this way with, with this scarcity mentality of if this person is being um, blessed uh, in, in such and such a way, well, that automatically means less for me, right? If God's doing... Um, giving giving this person this thing, or he's you know blessing these people this way, then automatically I can't have any. But but um, God, his, he's abundant. He's abundant in his love and in his grace and in his faithfulness, and he can bless this person just as much you just as much as he's blessing this person. Um, and then finally, uh, Matt's going to come up as as uh, we respond. He's got a couple ideas for response, but. Um, I want to read this quote from Tim Keller again. Now it is his turn, to dis- speaking of the older son, to disgrace the father. He refuses to go in on what is perhaps... Oh, and the band can come up. Sorry, Seth, I forgot. Um, he refuses to go in on what is perhaps the biggest feast and public event his father has ever put on. He remains outside the door, publicly casting a vote of no confidence in his father's reactions. Or, sorry, in his father's actions. So I was just thinking about how many times do I uh, sit outside the party um, casting a vote of no confidence in, in my father, God's rea- actions, right? How many times do I cast a vote of no confidence by saying, okay, God, you did this, but I disagree. Okay, God, you said to do this, but I disagree. Okay, God, you, um, you did this. I think that was a really bad idea. Or God has something for me, and I'm like, no, no, God, that's not how I would bless me, right? (laughs) But he knows what's best for us as our father, because again, he's compassionate and gracious, he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in love and faithfulness. So so, um, instead of casting a vote of no confidence in his actions, I need to thank him and rejoice in all that he has for us. So, So let's respond.
there's so much in there um, that we can respond to. And uh, we just felt like one thing in particular, or kind of two things that God was highlighting this morning, and that is um, an issue of identity. And I think there's two things that God wants to do this morning. One is the identity of God himself, and that he wants to show us as he showed Moses and as he was showing in the story who he really is. And there's a group of us here today that need to know who God really is, that have been staying away from God because you fear that he's going to reject you if you come near to him. But heaven is waiting to celebrate. They're waiting to throw a feast for you to return. So that's one group. Um, And then there's another group of us who need our identity refreshed. Like the older son who didn't realize that he had access to all of heaven, to all that was the Father's. We've been operating without the abundance that is available to us. We've been operating out of an identity that isn't our own. And so if you could, um, if you're on the prayer team, if you could come up, if you're a faith group leader, please come up. Because um, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Um, We don't want to come and listen and go... We want to participate. God is calling us to participate. And I think there's something in here for each one of us today. And so I'd invite you, if um, again, if you're a leader, please come up. And if you have something in your heart where you need to know the identity of God, you need to see Him for who He really is. If you could come to this side um, and just begin to make your way up now. um, And if you have a question about your own identity, where you need to know that you are royalty, that you've been given access to the abundance of heaven, why don't you come up on this side? And if you're you're sitting there again, I, I feel like everyone is supposed to participate in this. So if you don't feel led to come forward, turn to the person next to you. And just begin to talk with them, begin to pray with them. And if you're like, I don't even know what to pray, what to say, just begin to ask God to reveal, just say, God, reveal your love to them. Show them who they are. And just speak over them. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. So why don't we come forward as the band begins to play or turn to the person next to you. But don't sit there and not participate because God has something for each of us.